the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Friend, every generation must choose between Caesar and Christ. Herod chose Caesar, and so did all Jerusalem. Once Herod had his quick fix answer from prophecy, he set his sights on defying the very prophecy he had learned about. It was not enough prophecy for him to believe in Jesus, just enough prophecy for him to fight against it so he could defeat the outcome of the prophecy. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is standing by right now to take your phone call. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentanko with the conclusion to the message he entitles, House of Bread. That's House of Bread. And don't forget that you can find this message and many more online at reachingyourheart.com. Here's Pastor Mike. They want to take him out of our culture, out of our lives, out of our prayers. They want to remove him from Christmas. They want to kill his teaching. They'd say that Christ was a cruel moral teacher. They align with Satanists to keep the commandments out of the schools. They write books like The God Delusion, and then they attack Jesus because that's who they're really after. They want to remove Christmas too, and yet they do not protest a statue of Lucifer as a mentor with children in the public square, which has come to light in recent years. They want to take Jesus out of the public discourse, but they don't mind what you put in his place. It's okay. Just get Jesus out. They want our children to be taught that Jesus didn't live and that Jesus was nothing but a myth and a mist that needs to go away so that we don't need to abuse our children by teaching them religion. I'm quoting what Richard Dawkins and others have said. And so we must be moral and love our kids and get that out of their lives. And they want to silence honest men and women who speak in the name of Jesus in the public square, the school, and even the church. And so we have shootings in churches like the one in Texas because Jesus is challenged in every age by Caesar. Caesar or Christ, so many today have chosen Caesar. And just as Herod was deeply troubled that first Christmas, the modern secular heart is just as troubled this Christmas. The times are the same. Matthew 2, 4, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he, King Herod, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Herod wants a GPS coordinate to hunt down Jesus and kill him. And so he asked the religious leaders where to find him. Get the prophecy books out. Now, he didn't care about prophecy, but he wants to use whatever means he can to find him. Look at verse 5. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, You are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come forth a ruler who will govern my people Israel. You know, as deceived as they were, and they were deceived, they still knew a little prophecy here or there. They knew the city where Jesus was to be born. You know, we live in a time where religious leaders in the ranks of God's people today, some of them, we have very good ones too, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. Some of them would have us believe That prophecy doesn't matter in the remnant church. Did you hear me? 
Well, it does. Because the remnant church was created on the wings of Bible prophecy. If those time prophecies of Daniel are nothing more than wishful thinking, we are playing games here on Saturday morning. Because the book of Daniel predicts a prophetic movement that would arise at the end of the Middle Ages, a calling out of the medieval captivity. And that that prophetic movement would bring Christ and the Word of God and prophecy together in a mix that would meet the challenge and specter of the mark of the beast at the end of time. And so when I hear voices that scoff at the three angels of Revelation 14, they make fun of the 2300-year prophecy of Daniel 8.14, acting like they're smarter than the wisdom that has given us the connection to unite these timeline prophecies. I feel pity more than anything else for dear souls like this who have never bothered to inquire carefully from the Scriptures. The four great world empires of Daniel, the little horn powers of Antichrist. You know, when you read the book of Daniel, you see all those things. You also see prophecies that point to the coming of Christ in Daniel 9. The great 70-week time prophecy of 490 years in which from the decree to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah Prince is mapped out in chronological time so that in the New Testament era, those dear people who were studying Bible prophecy could recognize Jesus and be ready for His first coming. Friend, God is given us prophecies that point to his first coming and God has given us prophecies that point to Christ's second coming so we too can be ready when Jesus returns. So the spirit that would denigrate the study of the prophecies in a Christ-centered manner is not the spirit of Jesus and we are to test those spirits. If a man or woman rejects the prophecies in Daniel Revelation, they might as well reject Jesus Christ because Christ is in the book of Daniel Revelation. In fact, when you open the book of Revelation, what do you see on the very front side of it? You see Christ walking in the midst of the seven candlesticks. Who wants to get rid of Christ in the church? I don't. You look in the book of Daniel and Christ is the man in linen standing over the waters of the stream, guarding God's people in every age. Do you want God's protection in your life? These books are an extension of the mind and life of Christ. As Christians today, we'd better be studying prophecy. Am I right? Better be studying it. And I have no problem saying that to anyone who thinks it isn't so. It is so. And so those philosopher kings dumbed down the church in Jesus' day. And they do the same today when they belittle the prophetic messages of mercy from God that are meant to prepare a people for the coming of Christ. And in the place of the sure word of prophecy, they offer this philosophical, messy mush of human wisdom and theology stuff they dream up in their heads instead of the brilliant prophecies and truths of the Bible that point to Jesus as the Savior of the world. I'll take the Bible anytime. That's how it was in Herod's day. The religious leaders affirmed to Herod that this king would be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem first appears in the Bible in Genesis 35, 19, when Rachel dies on the way to Bethlehem. She dies having a baby boy. And so Bethlehem is first famous for the death of a mother who was trying to have a child. And her tomb was there on the way to Bethlehem. Jacob confessed this when he died. Look at Genesis 48, verse 7. Here we have it. For when I came from Padan, Rachel to my sorrow, literally in the Hebrew, because of me, he blamed himself for the death of his wife. Why did he do that? Because he had said, whoever is sitting on these idols, or whoever is hiding the idols in the tent, that person will die. And he knew he was a prophet. And so in the Hebrew, it doesn't say to my sorrow, it says, Rachel died because of me. He knew he had said, that person will die, whoever did that. And right afterwards, she dies. And so he was kicking himself for this. Rachel, to my sorrow, died in the land of Canaan on the way. Why? Because I spoke the prophetic word and I could not pull it back. 
When there was still some distance, now look where it says, to go to Ephrath. I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And so here we have the locality, Ephrath, Bethlehem, the location of the suffering. It means fruitful in Hebrew, Ephrath does. Bethlehem means house of bread in Hebrew. And around the place that is fruitful, around the house of bread, somehow there's a promise that a womb can have life, there can be a new beginning, and somehow life and healing and sustenance and filling can come from the tragedy of sorrow. The book of Ruth is a whole book devoted to the drama of a foreign Moabite named Ruth marrying a mighty Jewish man named Boaz from the town of Bethlehem. Now, how many of you like reading things that can be a little salacious? A little bit? Come on. The Bible has a little of that in it, doesn't it? The book of Ruth is better than any sin-sick soap opera because it's true. So read the book of Ruth. There's a famine in the land in the book of Ruth. Naomi leaves the house of bread, Bethlehem, for a foreign land. And when the Lord visits his people in the book of Ruth, they come home to the house of bread. You know, friend, when the Lord visits his people on the eve of the Advent, they come home to the house of bread as well. Hungry people this Christmas are eating out of the secular human's trash cans of the world. And these hungry people need to come home to the house of bread, to the word of God, to Jesus Christ, to be saved. In Ruth 1, 6, the famine breaks when you come home to the house of bread. Christmas time is a time to come home to God. Then she started with her daughter-in-laws to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. You know, the best evidence that God has visited you in your life is when you find food in the Word of God. When you feed upon the truths of God's Word and you just grow. It means God's with you. Ruth 1, 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. That's Passover time. Bethlehem in Hebrew is Beit Lechem, which means the house of bread. Friend, when God visits his people, write this down and take it to heart, and that's you. The Lord comes home to you, and he brings you home to the house of bread, and you discover that the Lord himself is bread for the hungry. He comes to feed his hungry people with the truth that is alive in Jesus. And when he visits his people, he is lechem, chayim, living bread, that comes down and gives life to the world, as Jesus said. And so manna is a man, the living word, who comes as king to the house of bread when Christmas time is right. Samuel found the little boy David tending the sheep. And where was he at? At Bethlehem, because David came from Bethlehem. The shepherd boy who killed the giant became the king, who became a shepherd for God's people, Israel. So Bethlehem is more than just the house of bread, friend. Bethlehem is the house of the king. It's the place where a shepherd king would arise. So when God visits his people, Jesus comes as the bread of life for the hungry. But he also comes as the king of the Jews, the shepherd king, a gentle staff to rule And take away the tyrants in your life that have no right to rule. Friend, every generation must choose between Caesar and Christ. Herod chose Caesar and so did all Jerusalem. Once Herod had his quick fix answer from prophecy, he set his sights on defying the very prophecy he had learned about. It was not enough prophecy for him to believe in Jesus, just enough prophecy for him to fight against it so he could defeat the outcome of the prophecy. Matthew 2, 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. Now, why did he ask this question? What do you think? I'm putting the question out to you. Why did he ask the question? What? 
He wanted to get rid of Jesus. Now, he wanted to know when the star had appeared. Now, my wife was educating me up last night. She said, well, you know, the star appeared in the context. The star was connected with his birth in the mind of the wise men. So he probably was counting the months, trying to ascertain how old he would be so he could figure out who he could kill in Bethlehem. And we know, in fact, he did kill the firstborn of Bethlehem up to two years of age. So he left a little wiggle room to get him. And so he was being mathematical in his pursuit of destroying Jesus. He wanted to know how the little baby Jesus was born, where? Bethlehem. And he wanted to know when, and he wanted to know how he could kill him. Matthew 2, verse 8. So he sent the wise men to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, it's very rare we ever draw good lessons from evil games. Right? But I'm going to today. You are listening to Reaching Your Heart. More with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. A reminder, we are a listener-funded ministry. We do appreciate your support. If you can help us out with a financial contribution, here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. You can also find us on the web at reachingyourheart.com. Here he is, Pastor Mike, once again. King Herod has three points that are valid in your Christian experience. You want to learn about them? He said, no, I don't, you just described this awful King Herod who put that lady in honey, and you want me to learn from him? Well, in this case, yes. So write them down. Number one, King Herod tells the wise men to go and search diligently for the child. Is that good advice or bad advice? They didn't need a king to tell him to find Jesus. It was in their heart to find him anyway. They wanted to find him, but that's okay. And so the light from heaven showed them the way. They were guided by a star, not by the king. But the command is sound advice. We need to go diligently and find him. So Herod sends them away to find him. Friend, the person who will not seek Jesus out for himself sooner or later will become an enemy of Jesus. Herod doesn't go, but they do. The one who seeks becomes a friend of Jesus. The one who sees others seek in time becomes an adversary and is an adversary in the context. What does this mean? It means the preachers cannot find Jesus out for you. The wise men in the church cannot discover Jesus out for you. And those who seek him are those who find him. And they can only share what they have found, but you must find him for yourself or you cannot share the word of him. So coming to church is not the end. It's simply the beginning of a journey to find Jesus. Every believer has to be in the business of finding Christ first. How much time do you give? I ask you the question. How much time do you give to Christ in your day by the study of the Word of God to find Jesus on your knees in prayer? Do you have time like that? Now, friend, if you haven't done it, take five minutes and start the journey with a little time and grow. But don't go through your day without prayer and the Word of God. Herod told them to not only search for Jesus, but number two, now he's a little more specific, to search diligently for the King of the Jews. I mean, there are many people who will inquire of Christ, but they don't really go for Jesus with all their heart and mind, and thus they don't find. The Greek word here is a little more focused. It literally reads like this. Go and examine carefully or accurately. You know, a diligent search for Jesus is a careful and accurate pursuit of Jesus in the Bible. Now, how many of you are part of a small group Bible study here? Just raise your hand. How many of you like to be a part of a small group Bible study? Do you realize you... You can't grow by just hearing a sermon. To be in fellowship with others and studying the Bible. Now, in our small group Bible studies on Monday night, I've had them for years in my own home. I know of many others who have had them here as well. And we get deep into the Bible, don't we? Is it fun to get deep into the Bible? 
it's fun. And I don't have to worry about, you know, just preaching the light stuff. I can go into the intricacies of this or that and have someone challenge me and they can teach me something I don't know. And I grow in these things. We need small group Bible studies like the great Wesleyan movement to grow spiritually in our lives. And so I'm going to challenge you. If you're not a part of one, start one and get into the Bible. And keep it focused on the Bible. You know, there are other books out there. Try to keep your focus on some great book of the Bible and winning other people to fellowship and to Christ in your small groups. He said, go and examine carefully or accurately. A diligent search for Jesus, friend, is a careful and accurate pursuit of him in the Bible. Which means we can't be sloppy in the search of the Bible. You know, this sloppy theology, sometimes I hear songs where they talk about this or that, and they make these serious mistakes in the song that aren't true, and yet it's about loving Jesus. You know, we shouldn't have stuff like that in our culture. We should be very careful to get it right and to promote things where the music is right and the message is right and the like. So you must stick to it and find Christ by carefully searching for him. Herod said, and when you have found him, bring me, he says, the word that I might worship him too. So let's review. Number one, every person must find Jesus for themselves. He says, go search for the child. Number two, every person who finds him is searched for him diligently. The old king was right here. Number three, now here's the third point. When you find him, you must share him with others. Now, didn't Herod get it right that Christmas? In part. I'm making you nervous, right? Those three points are right. Here's what's wrong. You see, up to this point, there's nothing wrong with the advice except for the fact. Now, here's what's wrong that the king Herod was lying. See, he was taking a little truth, good truths that we can apply, but he really wasn't doing it for the reason he was saying. He was lying. He had no intention of worshiping Jesus. He really wanted to kill Jesus. There are people today who fake it in the church, who say the right things up front, who go through the rounds of religion, who act like they're believers, but they aren't. Let's not be one of them who rise to power and position when they really do not believe in Christ, when they're not really to sink down into the place of no position to serve from the heart of love, who only study prophecy to manipulate events to get what they want out of them. There are Herods in our time, and they always seek just enough truth to get their own way and then to destroy the truth. These wise men didn't know this of Herod. They were naive in a way because they just wanted to find the king and worship him and find their way, you know. Why do you come to church? I ask the question. I ask it of myself. I ask it of us all. Why do we come to church? Do we come to church to get what we can get from the church? Not to be contributors, but to take. Or do we come to church to find the king and thus the way? Do you come to church to worship Jesus and to share him with others? Or is it about you? Friend, may it never be about us. Matthew 2 verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And when they had heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now there's a vital principle here revealed. No one finds Jesus, period, unless heaven's light helps the honest heart find Jesus. You're either led or not. It takes heaven to connect the dots in your life. 
The one who seeks the king of the Jews from with an honest heart finds Jesus, not because they're smart, not because they're wise men or wise women, not because of anything other than God's Holy Spirit and the light of angels leading the way so they can find Jesus in their life. That is why we need our Bibles. That is why we need to study. That is why we need to share. That is why we need to grow in Christ in the right kind of way. We need prayer and the Holy Spirit and a few angels too to help us on the way. We need to let heaven show us the way. I'm going to share with you an experience in my own life. For 10 years, I was studying linguistic chiastic research, trying to crack certain structures in the book of Daniel, and I couldn't get there. And I remember one night, I'm just going to confess to you what happened to me. I was sitting in my chair all night, struggling with the Hebrew text. I could see elements of order, but I couldn't figure out how it came together. And I just remember bowing my head, And telling the Lord, I feel so stupid. I said, you are so smart. I know what the truth is in here. I can't get it. I've studied for years the Greek, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, the Septuagint Greek. I need help. Now, I should have prayed that prayer more earnestly ten years before. And as my head was bowed and I was throwing tears out my face, begging God to help me understand his word, I had a flash of insight that has been the basis of the last seven years of research. In a single instant, I could see where the key was that connected the dots. You see, it's not because we are smart. None of us are. It's when we're desperate and we seek God on our knees and the Word of God, He gives us the truth. And friend, the truth is not about us. It's about Jesus. And so he's not going to give us something that makes us look good. He's going to give us something that points us to Christ. And the focus of my study in Daniel ever since has been the man in linen, the prince of the host, the prince of the covenant, the person of Jesus. Those structures in Daniel are wrapped around the preexistent Christ and the coming Christ. And so we can study for prophecy for prophecy's sake. It's when we study for Jesus' sake that we have light and we are led. When heaven opens our hearts and minds so we can see, there is good reason for rejoicing. Look at verse 10. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. That's exciting worship. That's worship. It's not passive. You're not just sitting there. It's interactive. It's buoyant. It's from the heart. It's not altogether predictable. Friend, there are many people today who will be lost because they never bothered to consistently come into the house that is the church to find Jesus. You know, I was recently at a thrift store talking to a very precious lady that I bowed my head with and prayed for in Jesus' name. And she says, I'm a spiritual person. I don't go to church. I'm spiritual, though. I'm a good person. Uh, She is a good person. She's a very nice person. But, you know, being spiritual is not good enough. You need to go inside the house. The wise men went into the house. You have to come inside the church to find Jesus because God has so ordained it that those who love him, that those who are weak and faulty, yes, like us, in their attempts to come together and be together for Jesus' sake, that this is the place where Christ's presence is manifested, where two or three are gathered by name. It doesn't say two or three good people, just two or three that are. And they're seeking Christ. Their Christ is. And so we find him in the house. He is revealed in the company of his people. The little Lord Jesus' friend is found in the little house. It doesn't have to be the big house. He's found where it's at. And when you enter the church and the journey to find Jesus, there's something for you to do in the house you're at. Men and women who follow the star this Christmas to the house of bread, Bethlehem, are called to do more than just feed on the truth inside the house. Some people say this. I'm going to do a little 
sharing with you. Well, I didn't get anything out of the sermon this week because it just didn't speak to me. Well, we can have bad weeks like that, right? Correct? Then you have good weeks. Oh, man, home run sermon. Now, I've learned as a pastor, I don't care about those great comments or those little ones either. Because I am looking at it consistently every week, whether I'm at my best or not. We're going to open up this book, the Bible. And we're going to feed you from the Bible. And if we stutter over the Bible, we'll stutter over the Bible. We'll do our best that day. Because sometimes we work long weeks and we come tired to church like you are. But you know what? We're not going to let you down in that regard. But here's the point. If you're only coming to church to be fed, you're going to go away hungry. You hear me? You're going to go away hungry. You see, God's people need to know that they go into the church, to the house of God, to open their treasure to the king. You cannot worship the king right unless you give to the king your treasure on your knees. Whatever idol you have, it needs to be placed at the foot of the cross to know the king. And whatever treasure you cling to, you need to invest from it in the house of God. You need to put treasure forward for the cause of God. Why? So you're where your heart is, there your treasure will be. For the king who feeds you, you kneel before, you open your treasure to him. Friend, it is by giving we receive. It is in dying we live. And when we kneel and worship the king of the Jews, the Christ child, It is only then that we are exalted as princes and sons and daughters of God. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, great advice from heaven, they departed to their own country by another way. Thanks for listening today to Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. We are a listener-supported ministry and would love for you to partner with us as we continue to present Christ-centered, biblical truths of Scripture in practical and relevant ways. Call us right now at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Visit the website reachingyourheart.com to find out more about this ministry, Reaching Your Heart, and Pastor Michael Oxentenko. That's Reaching yourheart.com 888-244-HOPE that's 888-244-4673 you can donate right there on the website reachingyourheart.com 888-244-HOPE thanks for listening and as always we do pray that God is reaching your heart Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.